Well, good morning. I am Tommy Graham, one of the associate pastors here at Centerpoint. And this morning, we're going to continue on in our series entitled, Jesus, Who Is He? Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline of today's message entitled, Jesus is the Mediator of a New Covenant. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks as you follow along, if you'll just raise your hands, our ushers would love to come by and take care of that for you guys. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at why is Jesus the central figure of our faith? Why is he so important? And what was his purpose from leaving heaven and coming to earth? This morning, we're going to try to answer some of those questions. But before we do, I want to have a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. He is the central figure of our faith. And Lord God, without him, we can't have a relationship with you. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, this morning as we open up your word, Lord God, that it would speak to us. Lord God, that it would change us from the inside out. Lord, I ask as John does all the time, I pray that you would move me out of the way. And, Lord God, that you would speak to me this, through, through me this morning. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples around together uh, for one last meal. It was a Passover meal. It's what we call the Last Supper. And the book of Luke actually re- records this for us. It says he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus was telling his disciples that he had come to bring a new covenant between God and man, a new way that they could relate to one another. Now this morning, I want to warn you, I'm going to be using the word man a lot in, in, in this message. And what I mean by man is mankind. God did not leave women out of this agreement. Okay, I just want you to be aware of that. But I am going to use the word man uh, to explain how God related to mankind. See, Jesus came to bring a new covenant so they could relate to one another. Uh, that means that there was an old covenant. There was a, a way that man and God could relate to one another, and it was broken. It wasn't working. It, uh, it wasn't fulfilling its purpose, and so there had to be a new covenant. And a covenant is simply an agreement, an binding agreement. It's a contract. I'll never forget the first time that Shelly and I went to uh, buy our, our house. I was sitting in closing, at the closing, and I quickly realized that I wasn't coming into a long-term agreement with the person that I was buying the house from. I was coming into a long-term agreement with my bank. And there were terms to our relationship, and they were very simple. The bank would let me live in the house as long as I made payments to the bank. And as long as we each kept our end of the deal, our relationship was great. But if there ever would have come a time that I decided, you know what, I don't need to pay the bank, or I don't have the money to pay the bank, that relationship would have been in jeopardy. There would have been a a problem with that relationship. Matter of fact, the bank would have had the absolute right to kick me out of my house because I would have broken that contract. Well, that's exactly what happened to, uh, in the relationship between God and man. Man couldn't keep its relationship under the old covenant. Matter of fact, Hebrews says it this way. Talking about this covenant, talking about the new covenant. This covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. Man broke its, its part of the agreement. It was the one that couldn't end up, hold up its end of the deal. You know, the greatest example of a covenant today happened to me about 14 years ago. I stood at a small church in front of my pastor and my friends and my family, 
And I said my wedding vows to my wife. I told her that I would love her and that I would cherish her. And that I would leave all others and I would be with her and her alone. And I would be with her in good times and bad times until the day I die. And she made those same commitments and those same vows to me. And as long as we've uh, stayed true to those vows and, and we've been committed to one another through that, our relationship has been great. But I'll tell you this, if ever comes a time that we decide that ah, we don't have to live by those vows, there's going to be some problems. I mean, if I decide that Shelly wasn't the only person that I wanted to be with, there would be some problems. I would hold up my end of the part. Those vows that we made to each other were, were promises. They were commitments to one another. And I wanted to do everything within my heart to keep those. See, the problem with God and man is that, like I said, man couldn't keep its end of the bargain. That's where Jesus comes in. Point A on your outline is this. Jesus came to earth so that he could mediate a new covenant between a holy God and a sinful people. Hebrews 9 says, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is the why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Jesus is the perfect one who could come and make a new deal so God and man could relate to one another. And a note on your outline is this, is a mediator is a go-between. It's someone who reconciles. It's a reconciler. It's someone who brings two parties together. When I uh, was a youth pastor in Texas, we used to take mission trips to Mexico all the time. And if you want to go into the interior part of Mexico, you have to go to a secondary border in Mexico where you have to take all of your passports and your visas and all of your paperwork explaining why you want to go into Mexico and what you're going to be doing there and what you're not going to be doing there. I remember the first time that I went in there, I had all my paperwork ready, and I walked in, and I went to talk to that Mexican official, and I found out that there was a problem. He spoke Spanish, and I knew just enough Spanish that if I would have used it, it would have got me in trouble. <laughs> there was a problem. We couldn't communicate with one another. Luckily, they had a translator there, and that translator acted as a go-between between me and that Mexican official. He knew, what, he knew my language, and he knew, his, he knew Spanish. He knew the uh, Mexican official's language. Can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth, and he's the perfect mediator. He's the per perfect go-between because he was fully God, and he was fully man. He could speak both languages. He understood it from God's perspective. He understood it from man's perspective. That's what makes Jesus so special. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this. There is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. And that man is Christ Jesus. Jesus was the only one that was qualified to be the mediator. He's the only one that is qualified to be the go-between. He's the only path to God. Now, we live in a society today that says there's lots of paths to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can get to God lots of different ways. Matter of fact, I was reading an article the other day in magazine called Religious Tolerance, and there's an article by Grace Lee, and I want to read, this, read her statements to you this morning. So it is a common fact that we are all different. If anyone believes in the ideal of heaven and salvation, there should be different ways of reaching God or enlightenment or whatever you believe in. I find it rather difficult to comprehend the common belief that one religion, one path, is the way to salvation. A religious leader shouldn't preach the exact same path or way to salvation 
for all its listeners any more than a doctor should prescribe the exact same medicine to all of his patients. It is important to have faith in whatever you happen to believe in. This is a prevalent thought in our society. I mean, if Grace Lee was here this morning, she would be upset that I'm telling you that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. She would say I was wrong for doing that. She would say that there's lots of paths to God. It doesn't matter what you believe. and You can believe in Buddha or Hindu or Muhammad or a tree or a dog. I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe in something. And there's a problem with that. It's because we believe the Bible, it's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. I believe that it's a standard, that it doesn't preach that, that it says that Jesus is the only way. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's only by putting your faith in Jesus that you can have a relationship. And that's the life application for us this morning. We must put our faith in Jesus in order to have a relationship with God. There is no other way. In fact, Jesus said this himself in John 14. He said, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Only through me. Now, you might be here this morning, and you might have tried lots of different ways to get to God. You might have tried a lot of different religions. I want to be the first to tell you this morning that Jesus is the only way that you can have a relationship with God. He's the only way that you can be right with God. There is no other. If you realize, I want to explain something to you, that if you take your Bible, you'll realize that your Bible is actually separated into two different parts. It's separated into the New Testament, and it's separated into the Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And the word for testament is just a translation for the word covenant. It's where we get the term will and testament. It's an agreement. It's a binding agreement. And so the Old Testament is the books about the Old Covenant. The New Testament is books about the New Covenant. And there's one thing that separates the two, and that's Jesus. If you take your Bibles and you open it and you look at the very first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew, you look at the very first verse, and the very first verse you'll find Jesus. I want you to understand something, that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are about the same thing. They're about God trying to have a relationship with man, and there's a problem, and the problem is sin. Sin is what separates a sinful people from a holy God. And so the Old Testament was all about how can man have a relationship with God. What, what, was, the, what was the rules? What was the regulations? What was the conditions of that agreement? And the New Testament's all about how we can have a relationship with God in a new way. What did Jesus come? How did he bring? What, was, what, was, what were the terms of our agreement now? So this morning, point B of your outline is that we're going to take a look at three major differences between the Old and New Covenants. And I want to tell you this morning, there's more than three. But this morning, we're going to take a look at three. And the first difference is this. Under the Old Covenant, people were made right with God by keeping all of his commands. All of his commands. After you write the word all of his commands, I want you to circle the word all. Jeremiah 7, 23 says, Obey me and I will be your God. 
and you will be my people. Do everything as I say, and all will be well. I want to underline or circle the word everything. Deuteronomy says it this way. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands of the Lord our God has given us. Once again, I want you to circle the word all. These were the conditions of the, to have a relationship with God. These were the terms of that relationship. God would be our God. He would protect us, provide for us, bless us, keep us safe. That was his, that was his part of the, of the relationship. Our, relation, our part of the relationship was to keep ourselves free from sin, to obey everything that he said, to follow all of his commands. And there was a problem with that covenant. And that's the note on your outline is this. It is impossible for any of us to keep all of God's commands all the time. It's impossible. It didn't work. Matter of fact, both the New Testament and the Old Testament say the same thing. Ecclesiastes says this, not a single person on the earth is always good and never sins. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. It was a bad system. We couldn't keep ourselves from sinning. We were unfaithful. I mean, man was unfaithful to God's promises. Here's the difference. Under the new covenant, we are made right with God through faith in Jesus. If you want to put out beside that alone or only, he's the only way. And there are people today who still want to live underneath the old covenant. They still believe that if they can just do enough good things right, that they can be made right with God. Matter of fact, this is their thinking, that if I can just do enough good things that outweigh my bad things, then I can be right with God, and I can win my way to heaven, and God will accept me. I, you, know, you ask people, are you going to heaven? Well, I, I think I've been good enough. Well, good enough doesn't cut it. Because if you're going to follow the law, you've got to follow all of the laws. Because the Bible says that God is a judge. And not only is he a judge, he's a good judge. And a good judge judges according to the law, not according to merit. Matter of fact, I grew up in a small town. And when I was about 26 years old, with this guy in our community, who was, man, he, he did a lot of good things for our community. He built community centers and uh, just did all, all, a lot of good things. Matter of fact, that year he was actually voted and was nominated to be man of the year. And he won that award. And he was the man of the year in our community. And everybody thought he was such a great guy. Well, a year later, he found himself standing before a judge on being convicted of child molestation. Everyone thought this guy was such a great guy. And I had to go to the uh, courtroom because I was acquainted with a lot of the victims. And I'll never forget that uh, if that judge would have come back and that judge would have said, well, you know what, we've weighed all of his good things and we've weighed his bad things. And his good things, because he's done a lot of good stuff, he's, he's really, his good out, outweighs his bad. I tell you what, if the judge would have come back and said that, that would have been a corrupt judge. Matter of fact, there would have been an uproar in our community. Because the law said that if you're going to mess with young children, you need to pay the price. And that's exactly how God judges. He judges according to the law, not according to merit. So if you think that you can be good enough to win your way to heaven, I've got, a, I've got a, serious problems with that. It doesn't work. Galatians says it this way. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. 
For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Praise God that Jesus rescued us from that curse. No longer do we have to be judged on our merit. No longer do we have to be judged by how good we are. Now we're judged on whether we put our faith and our trust in that Jesus was good enough. That's a good place to say amen, by the way. Okay? Because Jesus' goodness is a lot better than your goodness. Right? Hmm. Ephesians 2 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. When I was nine years old, I went to a, a revival at our church, and I'll never forget at the end of that message, the the guy that was preaching gave an altar call for those who wanted to ask Jesus into their heart and to make them Lord of their life. And I'll never forget, I was sitting at the pew and I was shaking like this. I mean, I was just, my heart was going 100 miles an hour. And I remember I looked at my mom and dad and said, I need Jesus to forgive my sins. I need Jesus to make me right with God. I want to have a relationship with God. And I walked down to the front of the altar and I said a prayer with, a, with my pastor. And you know what? It was the beginning of a great relationship with God. I loved it. And I said a simple prayer before him, and it, was, it went something like this. It went, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I can't be made right with you by all the good things that I do because I do a lot of bad things. And I believe that you sent Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for my sin, that he was crucified upon a cross and that he was dead and buried and that he was raised to life. And now that I can have a relationship with you if I just believe in him and ask him into my life. And that's the prayer that I prayed. You might be here this morning and you've never prayed a prayer like that. You might be here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. I want to tell you today's a good day to do that. As I was explaining the prayer that I prayed, if that resonated with you, I want to encourage you to do something this morning. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer for yourself. I want to encourage you to write that uh, to, on our, your Connect card. There's a part that says, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Fill that out and turn it in. Or at the end of the service, I'd love for you to come talk to me or come talk to Scott. I would love to talk to you about your new beginning of having a relationship with God. But it's your choice. It's your decision. We all get to come to God freely. But God has made the way. Jesus has made the way. Second difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is this. Under the old covenant, only the high priest could enter into God's presence. And only one time a year. Just once a year. When God had given the, new, the, the uh, Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, he told Moses to go and build a box and to put gold on this box and cover it with Gold, and then he wanted to take the Ten Commandments and to put it in that box. And that box was called the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason it was called the Ark of the Covenant is because it was the box or the Ark that the agreement of the Old Covenant was placed in. The, the terms of the agreement were those 
was, was the Ten Commandments. And that's why it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And then he told Moses, I want you to build a tent. And I want you to call this tent a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there was to be two rooms. The first room was called the holy place. The second part was called the holy of holies. And there was a veil that separated the two rooms. And the Ark of the Covenant was to be placed in the holy of holies. And one time a year, the high priest got to go into the holy of holies before the Ark of the Covenant, before the very presence of God. And he would take a lamb that had been sacrificed, and he would take the blood of that lamb, and he would sprinkle it upon the Ark of the Covenant. And he would ask God, he would come and say, God, forgive us for our sins, because we have not been able to keep all of the agreements of the law. We've not been able to take all the agreements of the Old Covenant. Will you please forgive us and give us another chance? And he got to do this one time a year, and he was the only one that got to speak to God that way. Hebrews 9 says this, only the high priest ever entered into the most holy place. And only once a year. And he always offered the blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and its systems it represented were still in use. No one else could go into God's presence. No one else could make a request from God. It was just the high priest. Luckily, under the new covenant, which is your new part, under the new covenant, all of us can enter into God's presence anytime. God's presence is open to all of us. Now, you have to go through Jesus to get there. Matter of fact, if you realize, that's the reason we pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way we come to the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the avenue or the medium. He's the mediator that we get to go to go through to come into God's presence. But it's open to all of us. And we can go anytime. Ephesians 2 says this, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. When Jesus was hanging upon the cross, He breathed His last breath, and He said, It is finished. And He breathed His last breath, and He died. The Bible records to us that that veil that separated those two rooms was torn in two from top to bottom. That God did it himself. He ripped it. And it represented that now we have access into the Holy of Holies. We have access into the very presence of God himself. And the last application for you and me this morning is that we can boldly take all of our needs directly to God. We get to come before God. We can ask God to help us in our time of need. We don't have to have, to have a priest. You don't have to have a pastor. You don't have to have um, someone pray to God for you. Now, Scripture is very clear that we're to pray for one another. But you can take your needs to God directly. The other day, Shelly and I were planning on uh, taking a vacation. And as we were planning our vacation, we realized that we were going to go to Disney and that we were going to be doing a lot of walking. And uh, as many of you know, I told you last week that we have a daughter that has cerebral palsy and, and uh, she doesn't walk very well. And uh, She's been little enough that we've just when we go long distances, we push her in a stroller. Well, she's outgrown that stroller, so we were in need of a wheelchair. So Shelly and I prayed to the Lord. It's like, God, we got to get Lizzie a wheelchair. And will you help us find the right one? Would you help us uh, save up enough money to get it? And matter of fact, we looked on the Internet and we found 
the perfect wheelchair for Lizzie. And uh, matter of fact, after I looked at the price, I was like, wow, uh, maybe we can get it like the week before we leave to go to Disney. Maybe we can save up enough money. Lord, would you please help us do that? Well, about two weeks later, one of the members of our church, um, Donald Williams, came up to me and he said, would Lizzie be in need of a wheelchair? And I said, well, yeah, matter of fact, we're actually looking at getting her a wheelchair because we're going on vacation. And he said, well, I've got a friend of mine who has a wheelchair that uh, they don't use anymore. And um, if you need it, uh, you're more than welcome to it. And I said, well, I'd like to look at it. You know, it needs to be a special kind and one that would be perfect for her, but I would love to look at it. So about two days later, he comes over and he brings this wheelchair and he gets out of the car and he opens it up and my mouth just drops. Because it is the exact wheelchair that I have bookmarked on my computer. I mean, we took our need to God, and God answered it in a different way than what I was expecting. I mean, I was just praying, God, help me save up the money. God, just show me which one to get. But God provided for us. And can I tell you that he'll do the same thing to you, for you, if you take your needs before him? You know, a lot of you think, well, if I can just get John to pray for me, if I can just get Scott to pray for me, because I know that God hears John. I know that God hears Scott. He does hear God. He does hear John. He does hear Scott. Here's you too. Let me tell you what the difference is. They pray. They actually pray. And they actually believe that God will listen to them when they pray. But they have no more access to God than you do. You can take your needs to God at any time. Is that good news? It's good news. Listen to this. Hebrews 4.15 says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. John, 1 John says this, I have, written to, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Now listen, when you pray to God and you ask God for things, you listen, make sure you're praying things that he's, he's in agreement with. Okay? You're not just going to give, Lord, give me a new Mercedes. I'm, just don't, don't go there. <laughs> I mean, but if you pray things according to his will and to his need, he hears you and he listens to you and he'll meet your request. We need to pray. The third difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is this. Under the Old Covenant, God's commands were written on tablets of stone. And Moses went up on Mount Sinai, says that God, uh, with his very own finger, wrote out the, the terms of the agreement uh, that, the God, that God's people were to keep. They were to love the Lord your God. It was to love your neighbor. It was uh, to be faithful to your wife. It was to not lie. It was to not steal. It was all of those Ten Commandments God literally wrote out on a stone. And the children of Israel were to keep those commandments. Exodus 31 says, When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. Under the new covenant, though, God's commands are written on our hearts. Here's the difference. Old covenant is written on stone. New covenant is written on our hearts. Hebrews 8.10 says, 
This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my, pe- they, and they will be my people. Now listen, God writes his laws on our hearts because the Holy Spirit lives within us. There are times in my life where um, I'm about to say something and the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, don't say that. There's times I'm about to go into a door or go into a room. He says, don't go there. Or I'm about to look something on the internet or something, watch a TV show, and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, don't do that. See, his laws are written upon our heart. He speaks to us. Now listen, he always speaks and confirms what his word says. But he prompts us. There's also times in my life where I'm there and the Holy Spirit says, hey, go help that person. Or, hey, I want you to read this book. Or I want you to do this. And he prompts us. And those are commands of God that the Holy Spirit writes upon our hearts. And we've got to listen to that. Matter of fact, a life application for you and me this morning is that we must see ourselves as the temples in which, the whole, in with, in which God's Spirit dwells. We've got to realize that the Holy Spirit literally lives within you. When you ask Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. Because we've got to realize that God lives within us, that he dwells within us, and that everywhere we go, he goes. Everything we look at, he looks at. Everything that, he, that we hear, he hears. And there are times in my life, like I said, that the Holy Spirit says, I don't want to go there. Don't take me there. You're literally the housing of God. And we've got to remember that God dwells within us. Now this morning I want to recap a little bit about the old covenant and the new covenant. It was simply this. They were both ways to deal with sin. The old covenant way to deal with sin was simply to... Uh, was simply to make a bunch of rules and regulations to keep us from the things that God didn't want us to be around. The new covenant is the same thing. God's way of dealing with sin is he didn't want us to do that. We're supposed to follow all of God's commands. Oh, wait a second. That was the old covenant. Matter of fact, let me send Jesus to do that for you. I mean, Jesus came to earth, and if you don't realize, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled every requirement of the old covenant. He lived completely under it. He was the only one that was able to do that. And after he did that, he just, you know what he did? He offered himself up as a sacrifice for you and me so that you and me could have a relationship with God. And so at the Last Supper, when Jesus was at the Last Supper, now you understand what he was saying. He was saying, listen, I've come to bring a new covenant. I've come to bring a new way that man and God can be with each other and have a relationship with each other. That's why when he was there, he took the took the bread, and then he was talking to his disciples, said, this, is, this is, represents my body. This represents what, what is about to happen to me. It was broken. It was bruised. It was used as a sacrifice so that you could have a relationship with God. And he told his disciples, when you do this, and you, and you take a part of it, and you put it in your mouth, and you eat it, remember what I did. Remember. And he took a cup of wine and he poured it. He said, this is my blood. 
This is the agreement that I'm making. It's through my blood you can have relationship with God. It's through my goodness, not yours. So every time you take communion, take and drink of it and remember what I've done for you. So this morning, we're going to take communion together. And I pray, and I pray with all of my heart that it has a special meaning to you this morning. And that you realize just a little bit what Jesus did and why he came to this earth. He came because a loving God so much wanted to have a relationship with you. And that was his whole purpose. So I'm going to have a word of prayer. And after I have a word of prayer, we've got communion stations set up here in the front and on the sides. And what I ask you to do is to come and get the elements of communion and to go back to your seats. And uh, then we will uh, take communion together. There's also some communion tables out in the hallway for the, you guys who are back in the back. But let's have a word of prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for sending your son Jesus upon the earth so that we could have a relationship with you. And no longer do we have to have a, a go-between, an earthly go-between. We have a heavenly go-between in you. And I pray this morning, Lord God, as we take uh, the elements of communion, Lord God, that we would remind ourselves of the great things that you've done. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.